Green Left Weekly Radio. There's one newspaper that is independent of powerful capitalist interests, and that is Green Left Weekly. It's the people's voice committed to human and civil rights, ecological sustainability, democracy and equality. It presents ideas that the mainstream media won't. Green Left is a leading source of local, national and international news with analysis, discussion and debate to strengthen the anti-capitalist movement. It helps expose the lies of the capitalist press and puts the voices of the marginalised and the oppressed at the centre of fighting for a better world and helps us understand the political developments unfolding around us. Good morning, listeners. You are listening to Green Left Radio on FreeCR 855 AM. It is, I guess, a pretty fine summer morning with um, it's with it's over 22 <laughs> degrees. So, um, but yeah, you're you're get, being joined today by myself, Jacob Antwafa. Good morning, Jacob, and good morning, listeners. I'm Chloe. And before we begin, I'd like to start by recognizing that. 3CR and Green Left is uh, broadcasting from the land of the Wurundjeri Woiwurrung, the rightful sovereign owners of this land. It was land that was stolen, it was taken by force, never ceded sovereignty, and the colonisation of their land continues to this day. And that struggle for First Nations sovereignty is connected with the struggles against racism and border imperialism. As socialists, we pledge to actively support decolonization, whether it's in Black Lives Matter, Invasion Day, Black Debts in Custody, or Stolen Generation campaigns, or any other campaigns led by Indigenous Australians. This always was and always will be Aboriginal land. And thank you for joining us, everyone. I hope you're enjoying your morning. We've got a great show for you lined up. So... At, we're going to go. We're going to be talking about some, going to a few news headlines, and then at 7:15 we're going to be. Green Left did this interview with Leila Khaled. Some of you might know Leila as this Palestinian revolutionary. She spoke to us about the International Court of Justice genocide ruling, what really happened on October 7th, and solutions to the Palestinian, um, to the Palestinian genocide, and more. At 7.45, we have, we're speaking with Ange Carr, who is a community service worker. She's going to be speaking to us about some of the social determinants of health, drawing on homelessness and the fact that people who become homeless are dying by the age of 44. And then at 8.10, we're speaking with Gay Demanuel from the whistleblowers and WACA, um, which is a activist group. She's going to talk about the recent Rosebank roof occupation in Bayswater. And that, that company is supposed to be the, it's the sole global producer of the F-35s, the uplock, uh, accentuated, I can't say that word, <laughs> actuators, pardon me. And those are what open and close the weapon weapons bay doors enabling it to drop its payload so without this company uh israel wouldn't be able to drop bombs on palestine so it's a yeah it would it would be good to hear from from gay but first we'll go into some news headlines yeah so there has there's obviously a lot that has been happening in the past week so you know generally we don't even have enough time to really cover 
all the kind mm. of political developments that are happening in the world. In fact, there's actually, there was actually quite a big debate in the, the British Parliament around Palestine, which I haven't been able to read about, but it, that's, um, that's one major kind of, um, political moment that sort of happened. But last, in the past week, the government has, there has been a lot of hysteria and I think outright racist scapegoating from very much both our major parties over this, uh, over this issue of, um, of a group of, uh, a group of refugees who are found on the arrival of a boat carrying refugees in remote Western Australia. Now, just reading from some of the mainstream news reports. Now, to tell you a bit about the, the refugees who had arrived, you know, the group is reportedly from Pakistan and Bangladesh, and they were found last Friday near a remote Indigenous community close to the former West, Western, um, West Australian Church Mission of Beagle Bay. Now, what, what is quite remarkable about how, uh, the politicians have responded to this is, I mean, a lot of our listeners are aware that the government's the government's refugee policies are absolutely abhor- abhorrent. They have this political framework that any refugee who arrives on boat by boat should be deterred from coming here. How do they deter them? They deter them by, i.e., um, the op- um, policy of Operation Sovereign Borders, which involves turning back the boats. So the the border force basically turns back the um, boats, which and where do, where do they go? Well, we don't know. Um, some of these um, some of these refugee boats will possibly go back to their to the countries that they escape from, or they might die at sea. The other the other the other thing that they will often do, and this is what the government has already done in the case of these refugees who have just um, who have arrived by boat, is they will detain them in an offshore detention centre. So that's in in the case of these forty refugees. Um, that's exactly what has happened, um, which I think is just I think it's I think it's an abhorrent policy, and I think we have mm-hmm. to we have to oppose as um, left wing activists we have to oppose it. Now, um, and I think refugee activist groups are um, actually. Before I go into the refugee activist kind of response, I, I kind of want to just comment a bit on some of the responses from the from. Albanese and Peter Dutton. Mm. So essentially, what ha- what has happened in response to this in the kind of parliament is, and in the in the classic case of playing politics with people's lives, Peter Dutton has kind of gone on the attack at Alfani Albanese, and basically um, the attack is, you know, how could the the federal Labor government let this boat come into to Australia? You know, clearly we don't. Um, clearly, the Labor government is not implementing um, Operation Sovereign Borders. And there, there was this quote that um that I uh, that I um that kind of very much kind of sa- um says this um that basically Peter Dutton basically says something along the lines of you know. People smugglers are going to respond to a weak prime minister and a weak minister who don't know how to protect their borders, etc. And of course, the Albanese government, how they respond? Protect us from who, though? They do, they respond. Um, they respond by basically saying, "No, we are actually we're implementing Operation Southern Borders. You're 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 just trying to politicise this, and you're weakening our borders." So that is the extent of the political debate around this that exists in Parliament. But I think I would argue as a socialist and mm. that in any rational kind of society, if there was a boat of refugees escaping persecution, harm, and they've arrived at our shores, the first question that should be asked is, 
how can we support these people? The okay. fact that that's not the question that's being posed, I think, is just a reflection of how rotten and, I guess, racist our border regime um, really is in a, in a lot of ways. And I think this is just another classic story. And I think, you know, I think, you know, refugee activists... And the left has to call, has to call out the racism of, of our government for this. And I think, you know, we have to continue, we actually have to break, we have to, we have to abolish this whole policy of Operation Sovereign Borders. Um, the government, because at the end of the day, the far right and right wing governments all around the world, they're looking at Australia and they're, they're, they're saying this is a, pol- this is a policy that would be great. We want this policy to deal with our so-called refugee problem of refugees arriving, um, arriving by boats. We just want to put, um, push them out into sea. So I think, you know, this is just a, 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 a reflection of the, of the, of the racism of our, of our government. And these uh, refugees, if I'm not mistaken, they're, they're some of the, what, they're some, they're a few of the, 14,000 refugees who are currently stuck in Indonesia because of an Australian ban on accepting them here. So there are thousands of refugees living, and and many listeners would know about this because, um, you know, this is one of the demands of the refugee rights movement to bring those people here. They're living in total destitution in Jakarta, or they're detained and and placed across the country in Australian-funded accommodation managed by the International Organization for Migration. And Indonesia is not a signatory to the 1951 UN Refugee Convention. I mean, Australia is, but that doesn't really mean anything to them, obviously. Um, it's, but Indonesia's um, uh, 1967 protocol, it doesn't offer refugees any protection. So they should be brought here. Um, Claire O'Neill, the, um, the Home Affairs Minister, you know, she, she has, you know, she's, she's never acknowledged the pain and the suffering of those lives that have been damaged by Australia's refugee policy. Um, and that stop the boat slogan. I mean, I can't, it's just so hard to believe that that is still something that is so deeply, um, entrenched in, in Australia. And that, that is really an expression of the white Australia policy. It's, um, if you think about it, the 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 boat turnbacks policy that that is supported by both major parties the LNP and the ALP that is against the UN Refugee Convention it's an act of piracy and for this maritime country boat turnbacks are actually a version of Donald Donald Trump's wall so you're right Jacob um we absolutely do need to demand that the Australian government shut down all these camps um, and remove and get rid of this terrible, get rid of the entire um, detention regime. Millions of dollars have been wasted in the offshore detention regime. They can use that money to actually welcome refugees and help them start a new life. And we can't forget that a lot of these wars that refugees have to flee are supported and funded by the Australian government. And I think just one thing to also point out, I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, the gov- um, you know, the government will co- kind of like attempt to justify this policy on the basis that we have to, um, control our borders. And of course, they use this sort of rhetoric that, oh, if, you know, if we didn't, if we didn't have this, then, you know, millions of refugees and, and so on people will swarm the country. But actually, at the end of the day, when it comes to most capitalist government sort of, um, 
border um, policies, they have no problem with thousands of migrants coming into uh, um, coming into the country or tourists, um, or tourists, etc. In general, what they have a problem is that if you're poor, marginalised, mm. and come from um, from a global South country and black, the, black or brown, black or brown, the implication is that we don't want you here. But we don't. But it's more we don't want you here if you're brown. Brown, but we also don't want you here. We absolutely don't want you here if That's you're poor. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely right. Uh, we're just going to go to a quick break and be back with more green left news. We jail black males in Australia nationally at a rate five times greater than apartheid South Africa jailed black males in 1993. The suicide and self-harm rates are the highest in the world and the life expectancy gap is the biggest in the first world. You know, Australians don't like hearing the truth about how bad things are, but the more we resolve from it, the longer this is going to continue. Black fella, white fella, it doesn't matter what you colour. Mainstream media is not interested in this stuff. It doesn't find space to talk truthfully and deeply about issues that affect all Australians. The only place predominantly you will find that with any real depth is on community radio, and 3CR has been one of the great leaders in that. So if people are wondering where they should spend their hard-earned cash, I would suggest 3CR is a bloody good place to start. What your name is, we got the hell. Lots of changes, we need more brothers. You're back listening to Green Left Radio on 3CR. So, um, just a fi- uh, a quick news um, report. Um, just before we go into our first pre-recorded interview of the program, um, there was um yesterday at lunchtime there was um there was a rally organised by ASU for Palestine and Trade Unionists for Palestine, and in fact it was actually would probably be I guess an example of industrial action um for for Palestine and and in fact it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't necessarily protected industrial action either and in fact it was probably the first kind of illegal kind of strike action for Palestine in Australia and what this protest was about it was very much about it was led by social and community service workers who are basi- who who basically walked out of work for Palestine and it is being led by work, it was led by workers in the community legal centre, but many workers in social and community organisations across NAM also took part. And this very much followed from an open letter signed by 500 workers to community and not-for-profit organisations. And the issue is there are many of these not-for-profit and community organisations. A lot of them claim to be, I guess, about human rights and social justice focus, but They've largely remained silent about the genocide that is happening in Gaza right now, and so part of this was very much a rank and file was a was a rank and file revolt, um, mm. based, attempting to kind of put pre- putting pressure on these on these workers, and I guess it follows on from workers at the Foundation for Young Young Australians, also ASU members, who walked off the job last month, and. I think it's very much a con- the action, as Trade Unions for Palestine said in their media release, the action is a confrontation and a challenge to institutional complicity with genocide and is responding to the call from Palestinian trade unions who have been asking workers worldwide to take action um, for Palestine. So, yeah, I think it, um, 
that I think that was a very a, a good kind of pro a, a good ac- a good a good example of strike action for Palestine, and I think you know we're, we're, I think we're, we're, it's going to be interesting. Uh, it would be interesting to see if there's more strike action for Palestine in the coming months for for from workers as this genocide goes on. Yeah, very inspirational, and the first major strike for Palestine in Australia following the um, the workers at the foundation for young Australians and also ASU who also walked off the job last month. We're going to go to a quick break and then we're going to bring you an interview from um, Green Left with Leila Khalid, a Palestinian revolutionary. Stay with us. If you're feeling the heat this summer, you're not alone. Our wildlife becomes stressed and unwell more quickly in hot weather. Please keep an eye out for native animals this summer, especially during a heat wave. If you have a backyard, balcony or courtyard, Provide water and shade. Call Wildlife Victoria on 8400-7300 if you see wildlife in distress or for more information. To donate or volunteer, go to wildlifevictoria.org.au. Wildlife Victoria is a 3CR supporter. All right, you're listening to... Sorry. You're listening to Green Left Radio on 3CR... 8.55 a.m. And we're very happy to be playing um, a recording of, um, of an interview with Leela Khaled. Um, Leela, for those who don't know, although I think some of our listeners, um, if you, if you, I would recommend Googling Leela Khaled in Google Images on Google Image Search because I think some of our listeners would have probably seen her image. Um, in fact, her uh, her, her, there's a mural of Leila Khaled that um, exists in West Bank, which is one of the most iconic kind of images of Palestinian resistance. So yeah, um, Leila is a is an iconic Palis- uh, revolutionary activist uh, and Palestinian, and of course she is also she is a member of the National Committee of the Popular Front for the Liberation of Palestine and a representative on the Palestine National Council. And so she lives in exile in Jordan today, and she gave an exclusive interview to Green Left on February 18th. And um, even more exciting, Khalid will also be a featured international speaker at the upcoming Eco Socialism 2024 conference in Perth from June 28th to um, the 30th. And of course, EcoSocialism will be bringing together eco-socialist activists from around the um, the Indo-Pacific region. And of course, you can follow GreenLeft.org.au for updates on this important gathering. And also, just for our listeners as well, because Perth is quite far to get to, mm. um, you'll um, the, all the talks will be live streamed. And if you are if you put, and ticket sales are now on, on sale, so if you do purchase a ticket, you will be able to get access to hearing, um, listening to Leela Khaled's um, speech live. So, yeah, I think, um, I think, um, um, but yeah, I'll, I'll let, allow Chloe to just play the interview, um, which will go for the next 25 minutes. We hope you enjoy. So thank you very much to, uh, for speaking to us here in Australia, which is very far away, but, you know, for the last, ever since October, every week, thousands of people have been uh, demonstrating uh, against uh, genocide. And uh, not just big demonstrations, but many families have been making uh, kites with their children, with mm-hmm. with uh, Palestinian flags and, and Rafa on it and flying it. And this way it is going even to the smallest towns. Um, mm-hmm. As Israel is now already started its assault on Rafa, 
the Netanyahu regime is not even pretending to be following the interim orders of the International Court of Justice. What is your assessment of the ICJ case and the responses of the different world powers to the interim orders and the continuing genocide in Gaza? Now, um, uh, I suppose that uh, South Africa, who uh, wanted to uh, prove that uh, genocide is going on in Palestine, they are now following up. And also another country, Nicaragua, also following up uh, ICJ, because uh, Israel is not abiding by any rules by the court itself. And there is a lot of uh, pressure on Israel now. In, uh, the uh, ICJ on the 26th of uh, February should have the second uh, uh, I mean, meeting. But now there is a lot of pressure on the court to meet uh, because Israel is declaring they are going to attack Rafah. People there are one million and a half now in Rafah because they drove the people from the south and from the city of Gaza to go to the south in Rafah. They went there, but now they don't allow them to go back to their houses, even if they are bombarded. But uh, this means that Israel is a state of apartheid, a state of... uh, Uh, acting as if it's uh, above the international law. So we are waiting now to see what will happen when uh, Israel doesn't abide. It's now already attacking in Rafah, but they are not on the ground from from outside. They are bombarding only by planes, but uh, not the same way as what happened in the north. And uh, until now, uh, United States administration is not putting enough power, uh, pressure on Israel because it's the only administration can put all the pressure that needs to stop the genocide going on in, in Rafah now because people don't uh, believe what the, uh, what Israel says that uh, they will open a safe road. Where to? There is no safe road. There is no safe place in, in, the, in the whole strip, not only in uh, the city or in, uh, because they are still in Khan Yunis. Khan Yunis is a city uh, uh, beside Rafah. And people went out from the hospital. They were snipe. There were snipers who killed four doctors, and arrested the uh, the uh, team, many the medical team, including doctors and uh, uh, any, the people that help also there. And so people couldn't leave Khan Yunis. They couldn't come to Rafah. And Rafah is a very small yani, uh, district. It's not a big city. To have one million and about 
300 or 400,000 uh, people. So uh, now it's time for people who demonstrated in support of uh, the Palestinians and the uh, the atrocities that Israel is doing for them. Now they have to pressure their country, their governments. Like in Australia, they they are supporting Israel. Uh, the attitude of the Australian government. Uh, and the other countries who are still saying that Israel has the right to defend itself. But Israel is not defending now. It's attacking all the time for four months ago. And still we have casualties in children, women, when they bombard or destroy the house by uh, another means of destruction in different parts of Gaza. So people don't have any place to go to today, except if the the, uh, Rafah border will be opened, and it's not opened yet. They are not receiving any kind of human aids, like water, medicine, food. They don't receive anything. And Israel meant by that, when they prevent the uh, AIDS to come into, uh, uh, although the court uh, ordered Israel to let the uh, AIDS to go to all the uh, strip, uh, the cities, the suburbs or whatever, especially in the north. So uh, Israel is not abiding. So where to go for the people? And the uh, uh, crossroads of on on Rafah, it's closed. Even if the uh, uh, Egyptians, uh, which is the, uh, they have the sovereignty of this uh, uh, border, but Israel does not allow uh, anybody to go there or to go out or in. So uh, everything is closed. It means the siege. Now we we have to work on governments to abide by the rules that the court ordered Israel to do and to make this pressure by taking action, whatever the steps they take. And for example, they can say that uh, no diplomatic uh, relations. This is one of the means to pressure Israel to stop its genocide war. And at the same time, they can uh, boycott the uh, products of Israel. This makes pressure on Israel itself from different countries of the world. But until now, those who are, especially the Europeans, uh, are linked with the orders of uh, uh, the uh, American administration, they are not taking steps. Only they hear the people shouting and calling for the Palestine. The, yes. the, the Zionist regime told many, many lies about October 7 to try and justify its genocidal attack. What is yes. the PFLP's understanding of what really happened in Operation Al-Aqsa Flood? You know, the... Uh, Freedom fighters attack, did not attack people there. They uh, attacked uh, one of the uh, 
military group in that settlement and they were attacking only the army and not the people but when the borders were open some people went also to, to these places they uh, took uh, civilians and in one of the uh, deals that was done uh, uh, neither uh, Israel nor the West media could prove that they made massacres nobody nobody came to tell that there were uh, massacres because there were hostages from the civilians they said we were dealt with uh, very uh, kindly and uh, the people whom they exchanged with our uh, prisoners in uh, in the west bank and in israeli jails they did it and they uh, it was uh, it went smooth nobody made a mistake about that so why are they be, uh, speaking like this just to say that the fighters are terrorists and it is in the law in in the international law people who are under occupation have the right to defend themselves with all means including armed struggle and this is the armed struggle this is armed struggle yes we have the right to defend ourselves from occupation and the siege over gaza so they wanted to make lies but they didn't have any evidence even biden when he showed a picture cnn said he doesn't have any evidence that this is what happened in uh, 7 october that the people of the world were demonstrating in support of the palestinians who were in siege for 17 uh, years mm. and they knew about it a lot of wars uh, uh, Israel attacked uh, uh, Gaza, all Gaza, the people. That was without 7 October. They uh, went uh, uh, attacking four times and many casualties, including the children who were sometimes in one of them, they uh, killed about 2,000 children. The second time, they were uh, about more than 2,000 children, the third and the fourth. So what are the real reasons why the United States and unfortunately its close allies, including Australia, shamefully, why are Mm -hmm. they so strong in their support of the Zionist state? Because this is their uh, uh, original project in 1948. This is a colonial state. Israel is occupying the land of Palestine. And that's why, they, because it protects their interests. They have common interests between the West and the United States with Israel. So for this reason, they support, even yesterday, Biden declared he will send $15 billion to support uh, the economy of uh, Israel. Uh, those uh, uh, countries, they have interests with the United States administration, so they support its policy. And this policy ended up with, now we are seeing this uh, uh, war against the Palestinians, all Palestinians, not against Hamas or any army else, 
but uh, uh, they are attacking our people, uh, making atrocities against the people and not Hamas. They don't see Hamas. Hamas is not uh, an army. Hamas is also, as a part of the Palestinian resistance, is also freedom fighters. Uh, what is your assessment of the so-called two-state solution that began with the Oslo Accords in the context of what all the things that have happened, uh, not just recently, but actually for many years by Israel? Uh, has it failed? And if it has failed, what would be an alternative that uh, we could, you know, that would be good and that could be one? Uh, this uh, illusion, the two-state solution, this is not a project uh, done by the West and especially the United States. It has been said since 40 years, but it didn't. Uh, they didn't implement any kind of, uh, uh, any, uh, a free uh, ground or a free uh, area from our occupied countries. Uh, even with Oslo Accords, in 1999, it was uh, the end of what was in that accord uh, that uh, uh, Israel will withdraw. But it didn't say in the accords anything about withdrawal. They said a state, a Palestinian state. But Israel did not abide by what they signed, the agreements that was signed in in uh, the White House in 1993. Uh, Israel did not abide by it, and up till now they don't agree with the Palestinians having uh, a, a, a state. But this state, in the American yani, view, for it that the Palestinians should uh, declare that they accept Israel as a state beside them, which we uh, denied some years ago. In 1949, when uh, the United Nations declared a resolution that uh, there will be, after 1967, there will be two states, one a Jew, Jewish state, not, they didn't say Zionist, they said Jewish state and an Arabic state and not a Palestinian state. They didn't say that in that uh, resolution. But Israel turned its, its back for all the resolution that was taken, yani, uh, since years ago. Uh, so for us, the first thing to deal with, to solve the problem, that uh, uh, Israel doesn't have the right to occupy Palestine. And second, the core issues of the Palestinian cause lies in two cores. One, the right for return for the Palestinians. This is the key for solving the, re the resolution. Second, the land. Who will be sovereign over the land? It's not Israel's right to uh, occupy us and continue denying all resolutions in the United Nations. Up till now, the United Nations didn't 
يعني ابلاي didn't continue to follow its resolution how is it implemented not until now since 1948 so it's we have a strategic solution for this cause that has been for not only 75 years but since 1917 uh, Israel denied the right for return although it was a condition in the United Nations in 1948 the, uh, that Israel will be accepted as a part of the international community and to have a state in Palestine uh, on condition that the Palestinian refugees go back they, who were uh, kicked out by force at that year. But what happened according to the balance of forces in the world that Israel was accepted as state in the United Nations while the Palestinians are still uh, uh, refugees. I'm one of the refugees because this is the witness of the crime that happened in 1948. Now we are calling for a democratic state that the key for it is the return of the Palestinian, the refugees. Second, that we can all together who live in, in Palestine, we can decide what kind of uh, state we, we, we need, all of us. Without that, this con uh, struggle will continue from generation to generation. Now those who are fighting, now they are the fourth generation of the Palestinians who are fighting. Because, uh, uh, mind you, there are also camps in the West Bank, refugees, Palestinian refugees in the West Bank. And what we have seen in Jenin, for many times, until now, they are attacked and their houses are demolished, whether in Jenin or in Jerusalem or in the West Bank. On daily uh, base, Israel attacks also in the West Bank. They, uh, up till now, they are arrested about 6,000 uh, people from the West Bank. This is beside the ones that were before 7,000 people until now in Israeli jails. Israel is uh, uh, attacking them every day with bullets, with uh, uh, gas bombs in the cells that they are living in. And still nobody gives uh, uh, any, a call for that. But we are calling also for uh, the release of our uh, uh, prisoners in, uh, in exchange with the uh, hostages that are with Hamas uh, from the Israelis, and they are all military. There were no Israelis in Palestine before 1940. No, of course. There were few who were Palestinians. We don't uh, uh, speak about people as their religion. The nationality is different. The, uh, uh, the Zionist movement... Uh, made people come after the Second World War to establish a state for them. And it was guaranteed by the British uh, throne at that time at the government. We had our identity as Palestinians, including the Jews who were living with us.
we didn't uh, drive out the Jews from Palestine. And it's in history. Yani Palestine is Palestine. So uh, uh, now the uh, balance of forces is coming a little bit to our rights. A little bit. A step. People of the world declare their uh, uh, slogans everywhere. Free Palestine is a slogan of the peoples of the world, including Australia, which we didn't have any uh, uh, in any time of history that we had uh, connections with Israel, with uh, Australia. But the Australian, because they are under the uh, uh, British crown, uh, still are supporting Israel, the ally of. Uh, uh, with Britain and the colonial, uh, other colonial uh, uh, countries. As terrible as the last few months have been for Palestinians, it is mm-hmm. a huge movement has grown up around the world and many new activists, younger generation people have joined the struggle and in a sustained yes. sort of way. Do you have a message uh, for this new generation of activists as somebody who has spent a whole life in revolutionary struggle? What would you say to them? I will say we are thankful to all those who declare their uh, attitude towards the Palestinians and what's happening in Palestine now, nowadays. And now the peoples of the world realized the core issues of this struggle of the Palestinians. And we are, we will not uh, forget that in this war, Israel was doing uh, genocide. And I saw on, on TV and also what uh, I uh, was received from our comrade, the, uh, the uh, huge uh, demonstrations in uh, Melbourne, in Sydney, which shows that people began to realize the uh, uh, the uh, the reasons behind what's going on, and the, uh, 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 yeah, they are demand, uh, demanding that uh, the Israeli army stop. Uh, fire and to withdraw from uh, Gaza Strip and the West Bank also because it is also occupied. So this is what we are telling the whole people and the new generation. Keep on for just uh, cause, for a just cause. Palestinian cause is a human one. Now we are defending humanity not only uh, in Gaza Strip, but because people now knew that there were lies in history, one of them, the Palestinian cause. And now they are uh, trying to build uh, a new history in, in the region against the imperialists especially the imperial, the American imperialism, because they are the ones who launch wars 
and they are directing, uh, supporting Israel with all means of new uh, arms all the time until now. Even the Congress accepted to send money for uh, for uh, Israel to defend its uh, economy, while they don't give uh, any any hint for the children who are killed every day in Palestine. Brunswick Music Festival presents Sydney Road Street Party, Sunday, March the 3rd from 12pm. Over 90 artists performing on one massive day. Catch Bench Press, Billiam and the Split Bills, Bumpy, Charlie Needs Braces, Chick Chicka, Murpire, Michael Beach, Al Carlson, Pauper Spit, Teether and Kuya Neal, Yorinda and heaps more. Plus, markets, community stalls and parties happening all along Sydney Road. More info at brunswickmusicfestival.com.au Brunswick Music Festival is a 3CR supporter. You're listening to Green Left Radio on 3CR and you're just listening to an interview with the legendary Leela Khaled, iconic Palestinian revolutionary activists. And um, you can actually, for our listeners, if you um, would like to look at that recording again, you can actually um, you can actually view it, view a video recording um, at greenleft.org.au and it's titled Green Left Show 34, Palestinian Revolutionary Leela Khaled Speaks Out. And just another, just also another reminder, Leela Khaled will be a featured guest speaker at the Eco-Socialism 2024 conference. Um, so yeah, hopefully, um, hope listeners enjoyed. <laughs> If you're feeling the heat this summer, you're not alone. Our wildlife becomes stressed and unwell more quickly in hot weather. Please keep an eye out for native animals this summer, especially during a heat wave. If you have a backyard, balcony or courtyard, provide water and shade. Call Wildlife Victoria on 8400-7300 if you see wildlife in distress or for more information. To donate or volunteer, go to wildlifevictoria.org.au. Wildlife Victoria is a 3CR supporter. You're back listening to Green Left Radio on 3CR. And Ange, can you hear us now? I can hear you. Good Great. morning. Good morning. Thanks for joining us on the show. So just to introduce you again, Ange is a social science member and community service services worker. And we invited Ange Carr on the show today to speak about some of the social determinants of health Drawing from this article we read last week in The Guardian about homelessness and the fact that people are dying before 44, which is about 30 years premature of the average lifespan in Australia. And we've, uh, thanks Jordan, um, as well, who's a, also a member of the radio team for preparing the interview for us. Uh, and so for listeners who may not be aware, can you quickly explain what the social determinants of health are and how these are related to more holistic ways of understanding health, well-being and illness. Yeah, of course. So the social determinants of health are really the external factors outside of our biology that contribute to a person's health outcome. So we know in our capitalist society we see individuals being blamed for the challenges they experience throughout their lives but the social determinants of health help to clarify and explain 
the conditions and the structural re- reasons of health disadvantage. Because we know that we don't live in a bubble and the idea that we're all born equal and have equal opportunity is completely false. So health, illness and disadvantage are defined by a person's social experience. And so more broadly, um, some of the determinants relate to cultural, political and economic factors within society. And because we're talking about um, the Guardian article and the premature death of homeless people experiencing homelessness, housing is one of the key subcategories of the social determinants of health. Because we know without housing, it's almost impossible to function and thrive in society. Um, So some of the other determinants are things like access to money, access to food, especially for young children when they're growing and developing, Um, access to healthcare, education, employment, and community support is also a really important one. And we know that these are all things that people experiencing homelessness um, have huge barriers with throughout their lives. Yeah, so thanks for, um, thanks for that, Ange. And I guess going into the next question, according to the Welfare World Health Organisation, um, social determinants can be more important than individual lifestyle choices in influencing health. What do you kind of, um, and I guess, what do you anticipate the health impacts of the Victorian state government's plans to demolish its existing public housing to be as a greater number of Victorians are pushed into homelessness? Well, this is going to have an absolutely devastating impact on people that are marginalised or are getting pushed to the margins in the current cost of living crisis. So I used to work in the homelessness sector, but I currently work in the family violence sector. And often public housing is one of the only sort of exit plans for women and children experiencing um, family violence. And we've seen that the state government has done nothing to increase housing stock over the last 20 years. And we actually have less public housing than we did two decades ago when housing affordability was not a front and centre issue. So as this housing continues to be privatised to the for-profit community housing sector, we know that the most disadvantaged will not be housed. And I saw this when I worked in the homelessness sector because tenants are cherry-picked for um, social housing properties. And with the current demolitions, people are being displaced from their community and isolation and connection, which I've already mentioned, is a health determinant. And that really leads to people having poorer physical and mental health outcomes. And the reality is the first people that end up on the street are those that are the most vulnerable in society. And they are people that have no one to turn to because of their adverse childhood experiences. So I'm not sure if people are aware of this, but um, there's a ACE scale, we call it, and the higher you rate on that scale, the more disadvantage you will have over your life. And it's been shown that people that have really high ACE scores do have um, a much reduced lifespan because they've experienced significant trauma in childhood. So they're more likely to develop um, poor mental health. They're more likely to smoke. They may be more likely to self-medicate with alcohol and other drugs. So, you know, the people that end up on the street really are the most vulnerable Um, And when someone is experiencing homelessness, it's very difficult to access mainstream services and supports. 
um, for one, because services are completely overwhelmed by the um, lack of government investment, but also because people are just trying to survive day to day. And so, you know, people are looking for the next safe place to sleep, finding something to eat. Um, you know, obviously to have good health, you need to have nutritious food, but this just can't happen when you're sleeping rough. And there's a hypervigilance that occurs when um, people are sleeping rough. You know, it's very difficult to sleep on the street. Violence is a very real issue. And, I mean, we've seen studies in shift workers show that shift workers um, have reduced lifespan because of the poor sleep um, that they experience. So you can only imagine how much that this impacts the homeless population. Of course, there's lots of barriers for people. Um, obtaining decent medical care with often preventable conditions. So, you know, we see things like a basic infection turns to sepsis and leads to death because people aren't able to manage their health needs, um, you know, without adequate water and shelter and things like that. Things like dental care. So studies also show that if you have poor dental hygiene, that leads to higher rates of cardiovascular disease and stroke. So that also leads to premature death. And we have to talk about mental health. And I know in that article, it showed that 17% of um, the data, the people that passed away, was actually due to suicide. And the article mentioned deaths of despair, and that's very true. And there were other high rates of um drug and alcohol overdose and I mean you know it wasn't captured whether they were suicides but you know that you could also argue that that could potentially be the case and I think there's a misconception that people that um that are experiencing homeless homelessness it's because they have a mental health condition or they have a drug and alcohol condition and certainly that can be one of the comorbidities once someone experiences homelessness, but often it's just a way of coping. And if you didn't have poor mental health before you became homeless, um, certainly that experience and that trauma really does lead to men poor mental health for people. And we know that we don't have access to mental health services. Even the mainstream population is struggling to access mental health support. So, you know, there's a lot of work for government to do. Yeah, definitely. We do have a mental health crisis here in Australia and we know all about those long waiting lines to see a psychologist. Um, and it, it is very important to draw those links between the mental health crisis and the housing crisis. Um, and yeah, thanks for, for sharing all that with us, Ange. Um, homelessness also can be such an isolating experience too. I mean, I've heard of people dying of loneliness, whereas if you do have a stable place to live, a place to call home, you, you know, you might have, um, you know, people living in the house with you, you will have neighbours. If you live in public housing or what's left of it, it's collective living and you might be living in a more supportive environment. But I wanted to ask just a little bit more on, because you mentioned women and children and the fact that vulnerable people are the ones that are most impacted uh, by homelessness. Can you tell us more about how particular social determinants of health impact the lifespan and quality of life of other oppressed groups in Australia, like uh, maybe the impact on refugees, because I know that they're one of the highest um, group experiencing homelessness, or migrant workers, Indigenous people? Yeah, so, 
Definitely in Australia, there are particular groups of people that are overrepresented as people experiencing homelessness. So as you've said, um, people from refugee background, First Nations communities, LGBTI community, young people, um, those exiting prison and women escaping family violence, or now we're increasingly seeing older women over the age of 55. And really, we know, we see that our capitalist system, it pits marginalised groups of workers against each other. And so it's these groups of people that experience the greatest lack of equity in society. And so racism and discrimination is one of the other social determinants of health. Um, so all of those groups fall in under that category. Um, so if we think about First Nations people who've lived through colonisation and genocide, We've had generations of policies formed on racist ideas, and this can also be said for, um, you know, refugee communities. So people have huge barriers in accessing the basics, such as money, um, healthcare, education, communities, First Nations communities have were torn apart. Um, they lost that connection with each other, and that leaves deep mental scars. So, of course, this all impacts the physical um, and mental health of, that, of people. And there's a lot of um, housing discrimination too. So we know that if you don't have access to money, like many of these marginalised communities, you can't even rent a property now. But if you are from a minority group or a group that's dis discriminated against in society, it's harder to, um, even if you have the money, for landlords to, you know, willingly take you on. It's we think about the LGBTI community, for example. You know, trans people are discriminated against when they're trying to um, flat share and you know, it's really it's really, really difficult for marginalised groups and it all falls under the social determinants of health. Yeah, so Ange, when you ran as a socialist alliance candidate in the last state election, you spoke about you know, the growing inequality of the housing crisis in Geelong and average working class people becoming homeless each day. And I guess it's clear that all these social and, um, that housing and all other social and economic problems are interrelated. And I guess why, why, and why was it important that we need to push the state and the government, federal government to address these problems? Can you tell us, you know, why it's important to, or, um, to build, to build community organising as, um, to building community, and why community organising is also very important to getting affordable housing? Of course, yeah. So, I mean, the reality is no levels of government are listening. So I saw a subsequent article where Minister for Housing Julie Collins came out expressing her shock about the premature deaths of people sleeping rough. I almost threw my phone across the room because we know for far too long government have made the political decisions to turn a blind eye to the issue because the state and federal government have the power to solve this crisis. But what we're seeing, especially from the federal government, is crucial money is being wasted on war. So $362 billion on submarines is completely absurd when we have people living on the street. People cannot feed their children. You know, the average worker is struggling to pay their rent or their mortgages today. But we know that the people in power are also our landlords. So it doesn't benefit them to change the laws like capital gains or implement rate caps. 
you know, as an example, because it's the capitalist push for those that have money to accumulate more wealth. We're seeing many community campaigners have been campaigning really hard on this issue over the last decade, but it's actually hit the mainstream psyche now. So this is the time for community campaigns to really take hold. We know the only time that significant social change has occurred, it comes from mass movement. So that's why it's important for community campaigners to really keep up this fight because we're hitting the point where the social conditions are right for action now. And we know until all levels of government commit to large-scale building programs of public housing that this um, crisis, it just will not be solved. So that's why we need to keep, keep fighting back. Yeah, definitely. And this has been a really interesting interview, Ange, and we're about to wrap up. So before we do, is there anything else that you'd like to let listeners know? Yeah, I think probably um, we could talk about this for probably a week. (laughs) But I think the take-home message here is we need to continue to expose the systems and structures for what they are um, because it's not an individual's issue. We need to fight back against the oppression and injustice. In a rich country like Australia, it's an absolute disgrace that we have people dying Mm. on the street at age 44. It's completely outrageous and it's completely unnecessary. So we need to collectively fight back against these injustices and inequity in society. And we need those large-scale investments into health and welfare programs that actually focus on early interventions that improve people's lives from a young age. We need to be raising income support above the poverty line. Um, you know, there's so many huge social reforms that are required mental health, family violence, but building public housing is absolutely at the top of that to-do list for us. Yeah, definitely. Thank you so much, Ange. It's always great having you on the show, and we love the work that you do. Oh, thanks, everyone. Have a good day. Have a good day. You were just All right. You were just listening to Ange Carr, who's a Socialist Alliance member and community services worker, speak about how particular social determinants of health impact the lifespan and quality of life, and also talking about the government's lack of action and on the housing crisis and the need for the community to keep fighting back. We're just going to go to a quick break, and we'll you'll be back with more Green Left Radio on 3CR. Hey boy, Celebrate all that unites us and host a Feast for Freedom this year. Cook delicious global recipes gifted by refugees and come together with your friends, family and community while raising vital funds for the Asylum Seeker Resource Centre. Register now at feastforfreedom.org.au. The Asylum Seeker Resource Centre is a 3CR supporter. You're listening to Green Left Radio on 3CR, and now it's time for the activist calendar. Okay, listeners. So um, remember, you can find a lot of listings for these events on our website at greenleft.org.au forward slash events. So there's quite a lot of protests happening. The main protest I just want to highlight is... um, if you happen to be near Campbellfield, we're going to be going straight there after this, but there's going to be a pro- uh, part of the weekly protests, um, shut down HTA weapons manufacturer, and that's going to be happening 10am at 43B Lara Way in Campbellfield. 
Then there'll be a rally to restore UNRWA funding, export aid, not arms, and that'll be happening at 4.30pm at the Department of... I think the Department of um, of Affairs or at basically the corner of um, Spring, Spring and Long South Street in the city. Then on Saturday, February 24th, there'll be a lakeside vigil for Palestine at 7pm at Lake Caroline at Car- in Caroline Springs, and it's organised by Melton for Palestine. Then on Sunday, there'll be Lift the Siege of Gaza, Stop the Genocide, Free Palestine, 12 noon, every Sunday until further notice. Then there'll be uh, a film screening of Leard, uh, a science fiction documentary at 6.30pm at the Cine Nova. I'm not sure about this. I don't know what the documentary is about, but I, I'm sure it's political because we listed in the Green Left Actors calendar. Then there'll be a, another protest to shut down HDA weapons manufacturer at 10am on Monday, February 26th. Same address, 43B Lara Way, um, in 43B Lara Way in Campbellfield. Then there'll be the Knox Rally for Palestine at 6pm at the Knox Civic Centre, 511 Burwood Highway in, how do you pronounce it? Wontona. Wontona, um, south. Then there'll be a rally, demand, um, also another rally, demand Banyul Council stand in support of Palestine, um, 6pm at Ivanhoe Town Hall, um, 275 Upper Heidelberg Road in Ivanhoe. Then there'll be a film screen, Palestine's Lost Images, at 6pm at the New International Bookshop, 54 Victoria Street in Carlton South. And then um, on Wednesday 28th, there'll be a protest, protest Hillary Clinton, the war criminal, at 3pm Grand, um, Grand Heart Hotel Collins Street in the city. Then on Thursday, February the 29th, there'll be a student strike for Palestine at 2pm at the State Library. And then there'll be a film screening, The Lobby, USA, Unveiling the Shadows Behind Political Influence. That'll be happening at 6.30pm at the Drum Theatre in the Community Room corner of Longsdale and Walker Street. And then on Wednesday, 13th of March, there'll be a rally, Marybeck for Palestine, call on the Marybeck Council to pass a pro-Palestine motion moved by Councillor Sue Bolton at 5.30pm at Coburg Town Hall. So, yeah, that's um, that's what's all the roundup of the different events coming, coming so up. So that, that rally today uh, to restore UNRWA funding at 4.30, that's outside the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade, which is corner spring and Lonsdale Street. So it's a, a good one to get to today. And yeah, it's really great to see all these communities, these local communities organising actions for Palestine. It's uh, really inspiring. We thought we would go to a song to give listeners a break from all the talking. Uh, we're going to be playing Too Black, Too Strong by AB Original. Stay tuned on Green Left, or stay with us, uh, and you're, you're listening to 3CR. Brothers are back, they pay stacks to see him Fuck it up worse than this, the winner wax museum This, plasticine like plasticine You see the motor's old and the facts are big Then I rock shows like I had four points Eight microphones and cut so much It's selling Morse code So fuck you and where your horse go Cause what you see, the door stall is too late That's your horse go the man that's too black With the plan that's too strong Said authority keeps stopping me Then asking me to move on, that's calculated Medicine is out of date and man, they fucking love it when you sound afraid But this is not that one, this my mother's black son Driving like a stolen blindfold and eyes closed Wearing a pair of bifocals and I'm still rocking Them black bodies still dropping Out we still feeling prison Out we still feeling coffins Hey, 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 hey
original. A B original. A A B B original. A A B B original. It's the blackout. Yeah, brothers in the area. Smart black man with a plan. Nothing scarier than blackout. Yeah, they still wanna kick the blacks out. Yeah, I get the feeling that I'm dead, even though I'm still here walking. All said and done, I can still hear talking. Now blackout. Yeah, they still wanna kick the blacks out. Yeah, they still wanna kick the. Like you never do it better than this. And if they say that they did, then the terrorists win. It's the A B or Rich in L A R. Bringing that dumb shit, even if they are. They wouldn't know rap if the jab that trap is snapped it back. I'm like a breath of fresh air in a fresh pair. Watching your demise with a stogie in the deck chair. I'm check the method. Roll another blunt until a chest infection. Right up till it sounds like a dial-up internet connection. Get it like it's credit at the deli when you're hanging. More rap tours than John Hammond. God damn it, bring a famine to your food port. In just one lunch, till I'm happy as a pig. Two girls, one cup. Brother, run up and get wrecked, mate. Netflix and chill till I hit it with that slut. This is it. Catch me at that podcast, maxing out my tab with Gina Reinhardt. That's frightening. I hit you with that Andrew Bolt of lightning. Right inside your fucking comfort zone, choking from them undertones. You cater to the nature of the dumb and what's your bond grow? You're back listening to Green Left Radio on 3CR, and you were just listening to a track by AB Original, Too Black, Too Strong, from their Reclaim Australia album. Now we are, we've hopefully got her on the uh, on the line with us, Gay Demanuel, who's from Whistleblowers, Activists and Communities Alliance, and one of the protesters who was part of the recent Rosebank uh, fa- factory rooftop occupation in Bayswater. Now, this um, this company. Uh, actually, you know what? I'll let I'll let Gay ex- explain it all. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Gay. Hi, Chloe. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for joining us. So, would you be able to tell listeners about the the rooftop protest this this week on the Roseback factory and and also the reason for the occupation? Yes, on Monday, I'm a 
group of protesters, so um, people from WACA and also um, people from various affinity groups, we came together to occupy the roof of Rosebank Engineering, which is a factory out in Bayswater. Probably a lot of people haven't heard of it, but Rosebank Engineering is actually a key supplier in the F35 global supply chain. So F-35s are striker jets that can carry really heavy armament. So they can drop 2,200-pound bombs. And they're currently being used by Israel to drop those bombs on Gaza. So the F-35s have bomb bay doors and Rosebank Engineering is the sole global producer of a part called an uplift actuator which is basically a fancy uh, hinge. It opens the bomb bay doors. They're also involved in other components, making other components of the F-35. So the Australian government has been investing millions of dollars in the defence industry. They're currently the... um, We rank at number 15 in the global weapons um, exporters. And our government, whether it's Liberal or Labor in power, it doesn't really matter. They want to get us in the top 10. So they've invested a whole lot of money in these weapons, uh, weapons or components parts um, manufacturers. So we uh, wanted to draw attention to the fact that this company is sitting in our suburbs in Melbourne. They've got two factories, one in Bayswater and one in Airport West. Um, and they are part of the global uh, weapons supply chain that is being used by Israel to commit genocide in Palestine. So, uh, we, as I said, we wanted to draw attention to this fact, and we are part of a global movement all around uh, the world. People are saying we don't want to be part of the military-industrial complex. We don't want to be part of committing genocide. And so we joined with those other people in in spirit and in conviction to act out of necessity. Our government, the Australian government, is actually complicit with Israel in genocide because we continue to export weapons and weapons components to the war machine that is being used by Israel. Yeah, and well done to the... Oh, sorry, I interrupted you, Gabriel. Well done to the (laughs) protesters. I mean, I heard that they were up there for 13 hours on the roof. I mean, that's um, in the hot sun. um, And that is quite... um, And they did manage to draw quite a bit of attention in in the news as well about, you know, how these companies in Australia are actually helping the genocide of Palestinians. So it's really great that... um, you're doing this, but as I understand it, you um, actually wanted to ask as well, as well as, you know, community rallies, because a lot of people are involved in the protest movement now. Um, would you be able to tell us why civil dis- disobedience and other forms of direct action like this are important tactics in building the movement? Yes, so there were eight of us occupying two sections of the roof at HTA, um, which it was effective in shutting down the operations of the factory for the whole day. So there were a few morning shifts 
people that had managed to get in, but they had to shut down all the machinery and leave because we were on the roof. And we, we you know, the reason, one of the reasons, sure, we, we attracted attention, which is great, but we had demands mm. um, of the, uh, we had requests for the workers and demands of if the um, Rosebank Engineering. So we called on the workers to refuse to be complicit in genocide and we asked them to refuse to manufacture F-35 parts bound for Israel. We say, you've got engineering skills and use those for the best, better. Use those for, we need climate solutions, we need solutions for housing, health, education. You, you, your skills can be used in better, for a better world. Um, we asked the, called on the relevant unions to embargo all weapons and weapons parts exports to Israel. We demand that Rosebank Engineering cancel all F-35 contracts and parts to be exported for use by Israel and that the Australian government stop all weapons and weapons parts exports to Israel. So there, that's a big list of demands, but mm. we think that's what's necessary. We we support the rally, um, and today there's a rally out at HTA, um, which is another one of these little um, engineering companies that have been given a lot of money by the government in grants to set themselves up for the war machine. And there's these little producers, there's the big producers, um, to also today at Boeing down in Fisherman's Bend in Port Melbourne. There's a big protest happening down there. People say to us, well, why don't you write a letter to a politician, sign a, uh, to a politician, sign a petition? We do all of those things, but we know that they, sometimes they may be effective if a politician is worried about being voted out at the next election. But generally... Action has to come from the grassroots to initiate change for the good. So, yes, go to the rallies, but also everyone can do something. It can be as sending that postcard or signing that petition, but we also need support to shut down weapons manufacturers. They're not going to stop because they're nice people. They're not. They wouldn't be in that business. We can't... We try to appeal to their moral sense, but often they actually, they're making a lot of money. They're profiting and profit, the profit line is where it hurts most. So we have to try and shut down these um, profiteers of, of genocide. Um, so that's why we're there and we call on people to come and join us because the more people that come and join us in whatever capacity they can, the more effective we will be. That's right. Um, and, yeah, thank you for all that work you're doing. I think those demands are very reasonable. Stop arming Israel, cancel the F-35 contracts, no contracts with Israel and Rosebank profits on genocide and more. And uh, also there'll be a rally today, as Gay pointed out, shut down HTA weapons manufacturer 10 a.m. We're all going to be there. This is a weekly protest outside the Heat Treatment Australia manufacturing weapons components for Israel, and that's going to be at 43B Lara Way in Campbell Field. Uh, uh, Gay, would you be able to tell us a bit about the group, the activist group that you're involved in, the Whistleblowers Activists and Communities Alliance, why you join and how people can get involved? So 
um, why did I join? <laughs> so I came to the Rathouse 10 years ago. Yeah. And uh, because I believe that we can have a better world and that we can't have that unless we fight for it. At the moment, the people in charge are invested in the system, which profits those at the top um, in terms of wealth and to the disadvantage and exploitation of the rest of us. And so we, at the moment, our focus ha- has necessarily and morally been on Palestine and can, will continue to be, but we actually... Um, know that no one is free until we are all free. So our liberation is bound together. So we um, have, over the years, had various campaigns around the environment, around refugees, around corporate corruption, around human rights. And so we continue to do that. People can follow us on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. Um, And our name um, includes the word alliance. So we support um, communities to run campaigns or want to run campaigns. Um, we, so people who have a great idea can let us know, um, and we're happy to to help people. Or you know, people actually have great skills. Sometimes they don't think they do, but they do. People, when people join together, um, like with this, with the genocide happening in Palestine, now it's an absolute necessity. To act, we can't be bystanders to genocide. Mm. I mean, it's a moral necessity, a moral obligation when our leaders are failing us because they're saying Israel's our friend. Israel is nobody's friend but its own. It's, they're actually, it's actually horrific to watch the words of these Israeli ministers who are glorifying genocide and hell bent on continuing until they annihilate. The Palestinians. It's not. Um, it's we can't. I always think about Asada Shakur, who says that no one's ever won their freedom by appealing to the moral sense of those who are oppressing them. We can write the letters. We we've seen all the images, the horrific images of injured people, of people underneath the rubble, of tiny baby corpses in the ICU, the paediatric ICU cots who were, um, who Israel forced their death, created their death. Those, we, and we, um, government ministers are supporting that. They don't have any moral sense. They've lost it for profit. And so it's up to us to exercise our moral obligation. Um, we can't be bystanders. No, we can't. And it, you know, this this kind of this direct action, particularly targeting these manufacturing um, factories, is you know people can have the opportunity to actually have a real impact because, as you said before, this company uh, for people just joining us, we are speaking to gay. Emmanuel, um, and just talking about protesting in front of some of these um, factories that manufacture weapons to help Israel's genocide of the Palestinians. And this company, uh, Rose Rosebank Engineering Factory, they're the sole. You were saying the sole, right? It's the the sole yeah. global producer. I mean, that's a that's a big deal of the F-35s um, uplock. Um, Actuators that actually open and close the weapons bay doors, basically, uh, you know, without those um, 
without those, they wouldn't be able to actually release the bombs. So, yeah, this is um, yeah, really important work. That's right. They're, they're the sole global supplier. Mm. If they didn't supply those um, components, the F-35s would not be able to drop bombs. You're absolutely correct about that. And so that's a reason that we went out to Rosebank to because I think a lot of people in Australia don't realise just how um, enmeshed we are with the US in um, global the global weapons supply chain. There, as I said, there are these little engineering firms dotted throughout our suburbs. Most people don't even know they're there, and they are profiting on war on death. It's blood money, and we want it to stop. Definitely, we, yeah. Yeah, we want that those that investment, those funds, not to be invested in death, but in be invested for improving the lives of everybody. Thank you so much, Gay, for joining us on the show. We are just about to wrap up um, the the radio program. So, um, yeah, if there's anything else you'd like to say quickly before we wrap up, uh, we really appreciate your time. I, thank you so much for the opportunity to speak up with you. We, I think people feel overwhelmed, which is absolutely a normal response in the face of such horrifying immorality and destruction. But everyone can do something according to their capacity, whether it is just sending that postcard. If that's all you can do, do it. But many of us can do more. And we do still have a right to protest in this country, mm. despite the fact that the police don't think we do. And the more people that do it together, the stronger we are and the less likely we are to be defeated. And as the old saying goes, if you don't fight, you lose. If you do fight, you might win. And that's what we're about doing together. So thanks so much. Thanks so much, Gay. And we'll see you at the rally in a couple of hours at, in front right. of HTA. Okay, great. Thanks for your time. Okay, bye. Oops, sorry, I just cut Gay off accidentally. Um, So you were just listening to Gay Demanuel from the Whistleblowers Activists and Communities Alliance. Um, We're just about to wrap up. Oh, we're just about to wrap up the show. Um, We hope uh, listeners have enjoyed the program today. Um, keep, you know, keep keep tuning in, support Green Left, uh, become a subscriber of 3CR. Um, if you like the work that Green Left does, you can become a, subscri- a supporter today from just $5 a month and donate to our fighting fund to help us continue reporting on workers' climate social justice movement. So go to greenleft.org.au forward slash support to help us out. Yeah, and I think there's very much, I think, well, we always sort of make this point at the end of every, every program, but when you hear some of the interviews that, and the, and the content that we're providing on, um, through FreeCR and with Green Left, I mean, I think it is very kind of important. Like, I mean, the interview we just did with Gay is that, you know, one of the things that politicians, you know, our politicians are basically trying to insist that, you know, all the Western politicians, they're trying to insist they have nothing to do with, with what's going on in, um, in Israel. But the reality is all these Western nations are complicit in the genocide. How is Israel able to carry out its genocide? It's carrying out its genocide through the fact that it has weapons that are, that are produced and manufactured 
in the West and in, in Australia, while we're not necessarily the most direct in terms of providing weapons, uh, weapons, well. etc., we are provide, we are playing a role through, mm-hmm. you know, through, through Pine Gap, uh, through the manufacturing of these parts, which are absolutely necessary to the um, functioning of F-35 fighters. And I think, you know, it is actually the role of Green Left and Free CR in actually exposing these, these links between the military industrial complex. And I think, you know, we're not going to be able to do that work unless, yeah, unless we have um, have the support of people like you. So, yeah, I just want to make that sort of case clear. Yeah, and thanks um, to the guests, Gay um, from Waka and also Ange Carr. Um, thank you, listeners, for tuning in and stay tuned for the next show coming up, Left After Breakfast. This brings us to the end of the show. You have been listening to Friday Morning Breakfast with Green Left Radio, brought to you by Green Left Weekly Newspaper, which brings an alternative source of information that puts people and planet before profit. If you like our work, become a supporter from $5 per month at greenleft.org.au slash support or free call 1-800-634-206. Arise, you workers from this bummers. Arise, you prisoners of want. For reason in revolt now thunders and at last since the age of Kant. Away with all your superstitions, serve all masses, arise. We'll change henceforth the old tradition and spurn the dust to win the prize. That's right, the commies are back. Reds underneath your beds and that crap.